Hey there, folks. Welcome to Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. So happy you could join us this Thursday. Hopefully you join us each Thursday. My name is Stephen Craig. I am the host and author of Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. When I say, uh, when I say each and every Thursday, I guess I mean almost every Thursday. I apologize. Uh, podcast not available coming to you last week. Um, I was actually out of town, uh, which means I don't have access to the home studio upon which these podcasts are recorded. I uh, was able to get up, um, was able to publish the column version, the written version. Uh, so if you ever are looking for the podcast and uh, don't find it, uh, make your way over to uh, make your way over to our website, www.waitingfortoday.com. Also happens to be the name of my novel, by the way, in case any of you give a shit. But um, in any case um was not able to publish uh was not able to record the podcast this week so I'll, I'll actually give you a double dose uh this week uh and read them both to you um two very different columns um and I'm going to start off uh I'm going to start off with the first one it's about uh short term rentals and uh certainly that is uh I live up in uh for those of you who don't know I um I'm a resident of Summit County Colorado uh, which is where uh, some of the most uh, visited ski areas in the country are, including Breckenridge, Breckenridge, which is the most visited uh, ski area in the United States, uh, along with Keystone, Vales right nearby, um, and uh, Copper Mountain, all of which are fantastic mountains. We get even more, believe it or not. Uh, we're known, obviously, here for the skiing, but we actually get more visitors during the summer now than we do during the, win during the winter, which is... Um, you know, which has its both its plus and minuses. You know, I fully recognize um, that uh, having tourists up here is part of what fuels our economy. And uh, while my uh, industry as a teacher is not really uh, so much uh, precipitated by that, I do recognize that it plays a part. I am fully aware that uh, I work at a private school and um, that uh, we wouldn't have uh, some of the people with resources to be able to afford that tuition. Uh, if it weren't for um, some of the some of the tourist industry that comes into town, um, but what this week's column about is about how short-term rentals, uh, specifically companies like Airbnb and uh, VRBO, and I, I pick up on uh, or you know sort of point a lot of fingers at Airbnb this week, but VRBO is is right there with them, and uh, this whole short-term rental industry uh, is really having a dramatic effect on the communities around them. And uh, Airbnb has uh, done a lot of studies <laughs> that are complete bullshit uh, that uh, sort of try to make it out like, oh, Airbnb doesn't have these impacts. They do. Um, and it's it's not just on some of these smaller communities. It's on some of the, like even cities like New York and San Francisco, which do um, have a lot of, um, which do have a lot of tourism. Uh, and do see a lot of visitors to their um, to their municipalities are seeing um, the way that this dramatically increases uh, a number of different different uh, problems uh, and exacerbates some already um, already existing problems like the labor shortage. So uh, let me read the column and then uh, then we can maybe uh, discuss a little further. Uh, this is called the short sighted nature of short term rentals. My uncle once told me that his state of Utah would be 
paradise on earth if it weren't for all the fucking Mormons. I kind of feel like tourists have the same impact here on Summit County, Colorado. Oh, sure, I get it. Tourist dollars are what fuel this region's economy, and none of this would really exist without them. But do do there have to be so many of them? And do they all have to be so damn stupid and blithely ignorant of even common-sense safeguards to our community? And yes, right there I am talking about the morons who ride on the wrong wrong side of the wreck path. Uh, Ask my girlfriend, who's still uh, recovering from surgery because of that. Now, no, this is not going to be some long-winded rant about tourists here in Summit County, but it is long past time to take a closer look at the modern phenomenon that enables them all to come here. You see, not all technology is universally, unequivocally beneficial, and often the long-term impacts of something like short-term rentals aren't fully realized until it's too late to do much about it. The whole concept of short-term rentals really came into vogue when in October 2007, roommates and former schoolmates Brian Chesky and Joe Geba came up with the idea of putting an air mattress in their living room and turning it into a bed and breakfast, offering up their rental online. Their idea quickly morphed into what we all now know as Airbnb. And to be honest, the notion seemed on its face to be a win-win for all involved. Customers had an opportunity to stay in real neighborhoods at a more affordable price, while property owners got a little extra cash for a side hustle that didn't take much effort on their part. Sure, there was the occasional loud or even criminally intent renter, and the fact that our current financial system dictated the need for leasing out rooms in our own home seemed perverse. But hey, the relationship was generally mutually beneficial to both parties. But then the idea behind Airbnb grew and morphed into something else altogether. As potential investors, those already armed with boatloads of extra cash started to take none of this budding enterprise, note of this budding enterprise. They began to buy up houses in desirable locations and turn what once was housing for actual families into glorified hotel rooms for tourists. While there are now numerous competing companies such as Vacasa, VRBO, etc., Airbnb alone reports over 7 million property listings worldwide with a near 1 billion annual visitor rate. More often than not, the property owners do not live on the premises, and that's a big change from when Airbnb started, which it oftentimes started as people renting out rooms in their home, and now the entire property is being rented out on Airbnb. And we'll get to exactly why that's a problem in just a moment. In any case, the property owners do not live on the premises, using the property solely for rental income, and frequently even live outside the geographical area, thus taking almost all of the economic benefit of the short-term rental out of the community the property resides in. And that's only where the problems begin. Now, I was hardly an economic major in college. In fact, I barely took another math class after the day I graduated high school. In fairness, I did get a four on my BC Calc final so and, and an 800 on my math SAT. So, you know, keep it in check there if you're going to go after me about the math shit. But even I can tell you about the basic principles of supply and demand. In small tourist areas such as Summit County, where housing is relatively limited, 
The repeated practice of purchasing single-family homes for the sole purpose of short-term rental investments dramatically impacts the housing supply and drives up the cost for housing to levels that quickly become unaffordable for the folks who actually live and work there. A study published in 2017 found that increasing Airbnb listings in a given neighborhood by 10% leads to a 0.42% increase in rents and a 0.76% increase in house prices. According to Redfin, the median price for a home here in Summit County has risen 42.6% in the past year to $1.28 million. That is the median price. <laughs> right. For a home in Summit County. Who the hell can afford to pay that other than other short-term rental investors looking to cash in on the opportunity to garner a steady income from the property? But the problem is not just relegated to smaller tourism-based communities. Cities such as New York and San Francisco have begun pushing back against short-term rental companies such as Airbnb, arguing that these purely investment properties are making these communities unaffordable for the people who actually live there. Also, the out-of-state investors can line their pockets on the backs of the communities they aren't even a part of. A study found that on Manhattan's Lower East Side, full-time listings earned hosts an average of two to three times the median average rent. In the end, the ever-increasing costs of housing have ripple effects through the communities themselves. The biggest corollary to all of this is the labor shortage. Unable to afford to live in the very communities they work, many employees have been forced to either relocate to neighboring communities or simply pack their bags, leave their jobs, and head elsewhere. This impact is most dramatically felt in labor fields that are most crucial to the health and well-being of the actual communities themselves. Teachers, construction workers, bartenders, servers, and medical staff have all been priced out of their communities leaving gaping shortages that remain unfilled. These voids wreak havoc on communities unable to find enough workers to fill the jobs that make the communities livable in the first place. The result is a deterioration of the community for those who live there, all for the benefit of tourists and investors living somewhere else. While long-term answers to the problems created by these short-term rentals are never easy now that the Pandora's box of Airbnb has been opened, there are some recourses available to these communities. If the residents of these communities can elect public officials who will safeguard the interests of the people rather than just the investors who line their pockets, they can enact legislation that caps the number of properties that are allowed to be short-term rented or the number of nights any individual property can be rented out in a given year. They can also levy significant taxes for short-term rentals or dramatically increase fees that have the benefit of both putting those dollars back into the community as well as disincentivizing buying properties solely for the purpose of investment. After all, how good is it to go visit a place that no longer has workers to serve you? Instead, these communities need to start thinking about the long-term benefits of creating a livable community that tourists will want to come visit for years to come rather than being lured by the short-term dollars of short-term rentals. So I wanted to get to touch on a couple of those points because I've had some really uh, interesting feedback. And I think um, talking about, number one, uh, how does this really impact a community like Summit County? We 
as somebody who works at a school, we've I, I've watched as a number of our teachers. We just had a, a teacher this year uh, who left our school because they couldn't afford to find housing, and and they moved to a community about an hour and a half away where they could. Um, and it's that's just one small example of the people who are getting priced out of the community. It, we're losing really valuable um, people who can no longer afford to work there. All and by the way, this is all a lot of what's going on in Summit County. It, it, the house right next door to us just got bought by somebody who lives down in Denver. Their intention is to short-term rent it. They bought it as an investment property. They're going to take the money now. A lot of these short-term rental rentals are actually being bought by people in New York and Texas and every. They don't even live in the state. The house right across the street from us is owned by a Texan, so they're getting. That money, they're, they're using the resource that, that it resides here in Summit County, Colorado, and taking all the income for it and taking it back to goddamn Texas. Yeah, Texas can go fuck itself. <laughs> and the people who do it can go fuck themselves. Right? Why, why are we letting, why as our community, are we allowing our resource to be economically taken advantage of all for the benefit of somebody who doesn't live here? And so you, you sit there and go, well, that they're harming our community. They don't have to feel the effects. They're sitting back in goddamn Houston, right? They're not feeling, they don't care what they do to Summit County. They just care about getting richer. This individual that doesn't live here and they're screwing up this community. So what can we do about it? Well, um, some of the, some of the uh, municipalities here in Summit County have started to take action. And one thing um, unincorporated Summit County has done is to put a moratorium on, uh, on extending any new leases. So those are the, the leases that are already out there, they've grandfathered in, and they, but they've said, listen, we're going we're gonna to put a pause um, and take a look at this and see what, what our best options are going forward. Now, they could, um, and several communities have done this and said, we're going to cap we're going to say this is how many short-term leases we're giving out and we're not going to do any more. That's one way of handling it, right? It's saying we're going to limit how many uh, properties are out there or limiting the number of nights. And I mentioned this in the column. The other one is to go um, to a system where uh, they, where you put significant taxes or fees on them, especially and particularly increasing those fees when the owner of the property Right. You can distinguish about whether the right have a tiered system where if the owner lives on the property, which is what Airbnbs were supposed to be originally. Right. If the owner lives on the property and they're just trying to make some extra money renting out a, a, a house, a room in their house, that's not taking away from the housing supply. That's not having as nearly as detrimental effect on the community as somebody who has bought the property as an investment and is short term renting it just to make money, especially Right. So then you have a tiered system where you say, OK, if you live on live in the property um, that you're paying one set of taxes uh, in regards to the income that's garnered from that or one set of fees. Right. And then if you live in state, it's another. And if you live outside the state, ratchet up the taxes on them. And again, that has two two a twofold effect. Number one, it disincentivizes people. Right. It takes away. It eats into their income. Right. And then and lower the taxes for if they decide to long term rent it. In other words, to somebody who they, you know, a 12 month lease to somebody, because then you're adding to the at least to the rental supply within the community. 
right? So you um, you increase dramatically increase the taxes and fees for people who don't live in this community and are using it as an income property, right? And you increase their uh, taxes uh, or fees for doing so to the point where number one, it disincentivizes them. Um, and hopefully makes them turn the property back into uh, back into housing available for the community. And secondly, the second effect that that has is that you then take those tax that those fees and taxes that you've collected on that property and use that to invest. Right? There are a number of programs that, like for example, Summit County is buying into where they um, where they will give homeowners um, property owners cash to deed restrict their property. In other words, um, if you are, you can be given uh, a certain amount of cash, like $10,000, and you agree to deed restrict your property, you can only sell it to somebody who works in the county. And that uh, has been a really successful program. You can also take some of those tax do tax dollars and fees and put them towards, uh, towards, uh, towards building low-income housing. Right, that people who live in that community can afford. Um, those are some of the solutions uh, that that we can take a look at uh, in order to number one uh, lessen the number of Airbnb properties uh, and push people back towards hotels. That's what they're there for. <laughs> you know, that's what that's why we have hotels. And secondly, um, to push people towards. Uh, to also increase workforce housing. And one one last uh, solution that uh, some places of Summit County are working is working in zones. And so you have like neighborhood zones, like my my where I live, it's all single family homes. We don't have condos in my neighborhood. Um, you know, we live on all half acre plots. Um, this is really was always intended to be a neighborhood. Um, and so the the amount of short-term rentals, um, the county is looking at really disincentivizing that. Whereas the properties that are, you know, ski in, ski out condos, that's a different, right? And so you can sit there and have a different, um, and talk about zoning, just like you have residential commercial, right? Zoning. Um, you can do the same thing in terms of the zoning, in terms of, uh, the properties, like sit there and go, you know, zone one, which is, um, high, you know, sort of high density, um, you know, resortish uh, areas. And then you have, uh, you know, up to a zone three or something like that, where you have uh, more of a neighborhood and you want to retain the character of that neighborhood. Uh, so that's, that's, uh, that was last week's <laughs> truth in a thousand words or less. Um, now let we switch gears a little bit here uh, and go to a really very different column. And, and I, I already got some feedback. Uh, I published the column this morning and got some feedback on it already. And uh, this was a tough one for me to write. And and I have to tell you that I um, I wrote this column before it was after um, the Roe versus Wade uh, reversal. The final uh, opinion had in fact come down, and uh, we knew that uh, abortion rights for women were going away. Um, but it was before, uh, the testimony this week, um, of the Mark Meadows aide Cassidy, um, and Cassidy Hutchins, Hutchinson, uh, who came out and testified to all the crazy batshit, <laughs> uh, nonsense that was going on in the Trump administration in the days up to and on 
um, the insurrection at our capital. And I say that this was a tough one to write because I become more and more despondent about where our country is headed and the ending of our democracy. Um, I see, and in, I, if you can't see the writing on the wall, and I, I don't make, I, I used to teach a Holocaust class. My great grandfather died um, at Auschwitz. I don't make the Nazi comparison lightly. But when you see what's going on in this country right now and the direction towards more restrictive government and even scarier, a more authoritarian government, that we have a full 47% of our country that voted for a would-be dictator. Now, I know Joe Biden won. And by the way, if you don't know that Joe Biden won, you're an idiot. <laughs> the, it, the evidence coming out right now that these people perpetrated and spread, disseminated a complete falsehood that they knew was a falsehood, that they had tons of information that they knew that they were spreading a giant lie and that they were doing so in order to manipulate and affect a coup to stop the peaceful transition of power and that it has caused, continued to cause this dissension in our country, um, that we have an entire political party that is hell-bent on ending democracy just so that they can stay in power. Um, it's some scary, scary shit. And I, I had a friend of mine, um, as I said, I published this column early this morning and I already had some people writing to me about it. And one of my friends said, I agree with everything. And I, you know, the column is called, um, this week's column is called, uh, apathy is killing our democracy. And, and this friend of mine wrote to me and said, I'm, I'm not apathetic. I absolutely care, but I, I just don't know what to do. And for me, this column is what I do, right? Me doing this podcast is what I do to try my little part to try to combat that ignorance um, that we, but I, I recognize that I'm largely preaching to the choir, right? Like over half of Republicans still believe the big lie, even though we've had hearings that showed that even the Trump administration knew that the big lie was a lie. They still believe that there was that the 2020 election was compromised and that Trump won. Half, over half of Republicans believe that stupidity. That's where we're at at this point in this country. And so I don't as much as I this is my way of trying to combat that stupidity. How do you get through that echo chamber of right-wing media? I don't know anymore. And then you have the people, the, the tons of folks that I, I hear from on social media and elsewhere that tell me, you know, Stephen, I, I love reading your columns, but the political ones, man, I, I don't know. I just, I can't be involved in politics anymore. It's just, it's too divisive. I don't want to be a part of it. And as I said in the opening of this column, I, I do hear that. But man, that, that indifference, that I'm going to step out of this, I'm walking away, is exactly what they're counting on in order to illegitimately take down democracy. To, uh, they know that they can't win elections fairly, right? And so they, 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 they know that Trump lost the 2020 election. They know that they will probably lose the 2024 election. 
And so what they are willing to do anything to install that authoritarian dictator in order to take down democracy so that American votes don't count. They don't want the will of the people. <laughs> they want anything. They want the exact opposite of that. And so what do we... They are counting on our indifference, our feeling that we can't do anything. And I don't know how to get it through to people any better other than writing this. And so uh, this is apathy is killing our democracy. I've heard from a lot of people recently, a lot of people I respect greatly, about how they just can't get involved in politics anymore. They'll tell me about how much they love reading truth in a thousand words or less each week, but that they can't ascribe to one party or another or follow the news about this issue or that. To be honest, their exasperation is understandable as we have devolved into a contentious dichotomy of one camp bitterly pitted against the other. And their reticence to engage in the dissension certainly has its merits. I mean, I'm sure that it had to pass through the noggin of at least a couple Hatfield or McCoy kin to simply change their names to Jones, Smith, or maybe even Rickenbacker, as the case may be. Anything to just extricate themselves from a senseless view they never chose to begin with. The perpetual infighting of social media alone can leave one numb to even a remote ability to give a shit anymore, throwing up one's hands in utter frustration at the meaningless inertia of it all. But if we have learned anything from the past couple of weeks, it is that political apathy has a consequence. In the immortal words of Rush, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. And the choices we are making with our refusal to participate in our nation's fragile democracy is having a devastating real-life impact on our society as a whole. I hear from all of these folks that both parties suck, and it is hard not to agree. They do. But politics has often been a choice between the lesser of two evils. And if we fail to recognize the greater evil that is casting a pall over our nation's broken democracy we are in very real danger of slipping into the type of repressive authoritarianism that swallowed Nazi Germany before many even had the foresight to see it coming or do anything about it. Democracy isn't something you just get to kick back and take for granted. Many of us have come to think of our rights to a democratic society as something fought for and won by generations past, something we have inherited an inalienable right to. But democracy and inherent rights need to be fought for and defended with each and every successive generation. And political participation, engagement, and awareness are the price we pay for having the liberties we have all come to rely on, even when that awareness and engagement can come to drain the very soul from your being. After all, let's not forget that Arlington National Cemetery is filled with the remains of scores of brave veterans who laid down their lives for you to have the privilege to be involved in that soul-sucking process of democratic engagement. This past week alone bore witness to one of the most egregious reversal of women's rights in this nation's long history as the Supreme Court ended decades of progress by overturning the landmark case of Roe v. Wade. Quite rightfully, 
Many have exploded with outrage at the erosion of women's reproductive autonomy and basic personal liberties. But where was that same outrage when Republicans stole the Supreme Court seat that made that decision possible? When Republicans engaged in the ultimate hypocritical gamesmanship of nominating and then confirming Amy Comey Barrett just days before the 2020 election, after refusing to even hold hearings for Obama's appointee of Merrick Garland nearly a year before the 2016 election, I wrote a lengthy column. I highly recommend you read it. <laughs> it was called I Double Dare, Dog Dare You Republicans. And by the way, I, I double dog dared them and they did it anyways. And fucking got away with it. In any case, I wrote a lengthy column urging folks to stand up to this type of power grab and usurpation of the voice of the American people. After all, this is how the same crowd that likes to talk about elections have consequences masterminded the dodgy scheme to somehow procure a 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court despite losing the popular vote in all but one presidential election since 1988. Yeah, 1988. Most of you weren't even born then. I was 17 years old. But all we heard from the collective American populace was an unsettled groan, as they knew Republicans were playing dirty pool, but didn't have the gumption to actually do anything about it. This court in no way reflects the will or values of the American public, but all we did about it was shrug our shoulders and move on. And it was just that lackadaisical indifference that conservatives relied on to deprive women of their essential constitutional rights. Meanwhile, anyone who actually gives a damn anymore has been treated to two straight weeks of hearings detailing how our nation came perilously close to an unprecedented coup and overthrow of American democracy itself by a would-be dictator and a Republican Party that was more than happy to be his willing accomplices. But how many people have in fact been paying attention? I mean, after all, the NBA Finals was going down, right? Yeah. And it is just that type of aloof nonchalance towards the democratic process, that contention that both parties equally suck, that Republicans are counting on so that they can make their harebrained schemes finally come to fruition in 2024. You know, every Scooby-Doo villain would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for those meddling kids. But instead of pressing for hard truths and an adherence to rightful democratic processes that align with the will of the American people, we're too busy blazing it up with Shaggy in the back of the magical mystery van to give two craps and hold these fuckers accountable for their malfeasance. Apathy, my friends, has a very exacting price. A price that Germany found out just a little too late. I understand that democracy and political engagement are hard, but damn it, it's still a lot easier than going out and fighting a bloody war to defend it. This is our war because the attacks on our American democracy are no longer coming from outside the country, but from within it. And unless we decide to grow a pair and start giving a damn about where this country is headed, it may be too late when they come for your freedoms next. And by the way, what what freedoms do I mean? Well, just take a look at what Clarence Thomas wrote about in his concurring opinion. 
gay marriage, contraception. <laughs> what is next, folks? What is this conservative court coming for next? Your freedom from religion? All of it. You better start giving a shit. Right? So what can we do? Well, first and foremost, vote. Get out and vote. I don't care how long you have to sit in line. I don't care how mundane or what else you have going on. Go vote. Do what it takes to vote these fuckers out of office and keep them out of office. Do not let them hijack our democracy because it is just that kind of apathy that they are counting on in order to install the repressive authoritarianism that they would like to see this country run by. And secondly, you know, I was talking to my dad about this and we were talking about what we want to see come out of the January 6th hearings. And yes, my first and foremost concern is to never let, to politically cripple Donald Trump so that that asshole can never, ever, ever see any public office ever again. That has to be our number one priority coming out of all of that. But we need to demand from our Justice Department and our elected officials that there be genuine criminal consequences for the genuine criminal behavior that all of these people engaged in. And that means Trump, Meadows, Giuliani, etc. These folks engaged in a seditious attempt to overthrow the American government. And if there's not criminal charges for that, what signal does that send to the would-be, the next would-be treasons, right? What signal does that send to the people who would do it again? We need to demand from our government, right? They'll bust... They'll bust some fucking black kids selling weed. They'll bust a woman, right? Send a, put criminal charges on a woman who decides what to do with her body. But Donald Trump can, number one, grab women by the pussy, but then can try to overthrow the American government itself and get away with it? What kind of country do we live in where there are no criminal consequences for attempting to commit treason and have a seditious overthrow of the government. In any case, folks, that's, uh, yeah, that's this week's Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. We will, uh, we will be back next week, hopefully in a, hopefully in a cheerier frame of mind and all, but, uh, you know, that's just where we are this week. Um, thank you for hanging out with me, man. I, I thank you for hanging out, all of us. Um, man, it was uh, it was funny. We hadn't published last week. Um, saw the largest one week jump in the podcast audience we've had uh, ever. So uh, maybe I should go on break more often. In any case, I'm not going to. I'm going to be back next week. Um, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, please spread the word. We're so appreciative uh, of having you here. My name is Stephen Craig. I am the host and author of Truth in a Thousand Words or Less. 
You can uh, find this podcast on Podbean, on uh, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, you can also find uh, the written column on uh, Medium or uh, on our website at www.waitingfortoday.com. Uh, thank you again. I'll be back here next week. Until then, y'all, peace out. Bye.